You're about to listen to a message of Foundation of Truth Assembly. May the word you hear bear fruit in your heart now and always. Hallelujah. Glory to Jesus. What a beautiful day. What a beautiful morning. What a beautiful atmosphere of worship. Father, we bless your holy name. We give you thanks. We give you praise. Thank you for every one of us. Thank you for bringing us in here day in, day out, weekly. Lord God, we bless your holy name because you are a good God. You keep your covenant of mercy to those who love you. Lord God, we thank you because of the things you have been stuck for those who are the cold according to your purpose. Thank you, Lord God, for giving us blessings, spiritual blessings in heavenly places. Thank you for giving us with Jesus everything we will ever need. Thank you, Lord God, for blessing us in ways that are too deep to explain. Thank you for giving us all that pertains to life and godliness. Thank you for making us this special, for making us a royal priesthood. Thank you, Lord, for making us a peculiar people. We bless your name. We thank you, Lord God, for the time of worship. Lord God, we pray that this time of worship will not be limited to when we gather. Each one of us will develop an appetite for staying with you in the place of worship. In the name of Jesus, we will not substitute the place of worship for something else. In the name of Jesus, each one of us will know you better. We will know you deeper. We will love you more in the name of Jesus. As your word comes, Lord God, we pray that your word will do what your word does. In the name of Jesus, where your word needs to rebuke, let it rebuke. Where your word needs to correct, let your word correct. Where your word needs to train in righteousness, let it train in righteousness. Where your word needs to liberate, let it liberate. Where your word needs to direct and deliver, let it do all that your word does. In the name of Jesus, I pray for every year listening right now. I pray in the name of Jesus that the word of God will penetrate penetrate through that organ called ears but go right into your mind right into your spirit and transform you incrementally in the name of jesus by reason of an exposure to god's word your life will no longer be the same you will arise and do exploits you will do greater than you've ever done before in the name of jesus every distraction i suspend them right now in the name of jesus that the word of god we have free course Right here, right now, in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Put your hands together for Jesus. Another beautiful Saturday morning. We thank the Lord for what He has started to do in our lives in the month of April. We started with a series stories that touch and last week we we saw a story uh, in the book of matthew chapter 25 from verse 1 to verse 13 uh, where we looked at the story of the 10 virgins 10 virgins five of which were wise and five that were foolish and we we did charge one another to say we cannot end up like the foolish ones the foolish ones were the ones who were tagging along who were not prepared who were not really in the midst they looked like brethren talk like brethren dressed like brethren but they were not brethren why because they were not registered their lights were empty they did not have fire in the lamps that were carrying People seeing them will think that they are light bearers because they carry a lamp, but a lamp without fire is useless. The master is not coming for those who have a touch. He's coming for those whose touches are burning. Is your touch burning? A first place to start is if you miss that message, please find a way to reach out to us. We'll get a message across to you. You cannot be caught napping. You cannot be caught napping. The master is returning very soon and is not returning for everybody. He's returning for those who are ready. Those who are ready. May you be among those who are ready in the name of Jesus Christ. We move on to the next topic in our series. And today we're dealing with deadly dilemma. What did I call it? Deadly dilemma. In life, we, we all face options. We face two choices. But what do we call a dilemma? A dilemma is not just an option between two things. It's an option between two bad things. In fact, when you read up the word dilemma, they use um, a kind of expression for it. They say when someone is between the devil and the deep blue sea. So the devil is on your tail and the deep blue sea is in your front. 
and you need to make a decision. Do I run into the deep blue sea? Do I turn back and face the devil? So that's the word we use for dilemma. You have two choices, usually two very difficult choices, and you need to take one. You cannot play the ostrich, you cannot bury your head under the sand and say, well, I will let it happen, I will let it pass. No, you need to make a choice because it's a deadly decision that needs to be taken. So that's what we're going to be considering. We look at a few stories in the Bible where people were faced with deadly dilemma. And what did they do? What can we learn from what they did? And what can you do with your own dilemmas? Because every one of us at some point in time will face dilemmas. Maybe we actually do face dilemmas today and will make wrong and weak choices motivated by something other than the faith that we should have as believers. Alright, so we're going to start by looking at the first story. The first story of a deadly dilemma that we're going to look at is in the book of Exodus. Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to read Exodus chapter 14 from verse 10 to verse 17. Are you with me? I need you to turn your Bibles with me. So when we do study like this, when we share God's word like this, it helps if you do also come with your Bible, you open your tab, you get your phone ready, you make yourself comfortable in a place where you can study God's word and be focused. It is not enough to just hear someone speaking on, on, on your audio device, on your phone or through your tab. When you get engaged, it's easier for you to connect and get blessed. Do you understand me? So I need you to open your Bibles to the book of Exodus chapter 14. Leave every other thing you are doing. Dedicate this time to the time of worship with the Father and listening to the Father. Exodus chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 10. The Bible says, And when Pharaoh drew near, the children of Israel lifted their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them. So they were very afraid. Mark your Bible. They were very afraid. And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord. Then they said to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you so dealt with us to bring us out of Egypt? Is this... Is this not the word that we told you in Egypt saying, let us alone oh, that we may serve the Egyptians. Can you imagine? They were happy to be left alone to serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians that, than that we should die in the wilderness. So they were afraid of dying in the wilderness, dying by sword. They would be happy to die in Egypt as slaves. To be beaten with whips of Egyptians as slaves. To be forced to make brick without mortar as slaves. To be deprived, to be oppressed, to be under captivity as slaves. To be beaten, dehumanized as slaves. They would rather die like that than die in the wilderness trying to live as free men. So the Bible says, And Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Verse 13. Do not be afraid. So this story is set after the Passover, they killed the Passover lamb and they dressed up and they ran out of Egypt after the 10 plagues have happened in Egypt. So now they were running. But suddenly Pharaoh thought to himself, of course, because the Lord tweaked his mind to say, don't let these people go. God wanted to show him pepper, saying, okay, you think you are Pharaoh. I'm king of kings. I'm not just king of a nation. I'm king of all the earth. I'm going to show you who is the boss today. So he made Pharaoh to think, I, I made a mistake by letting these people go. Yes, I lost my son and everybody in this country lost their first son, including the animals. They lost their first son. But who is going to wash the dishes? Who is going to sweep our streets? Who is going to do the bricklaying work? Who is going to be our mason? Who is going to be the painter? Who is going to be the shepherd? Who is going to be this? Who is going to be that? Who is going to be this, let's get ready, chase us after this Israelis and make sure we'll bring them back with a strong arm and deal with them and make sure this never happens. So he felt motivated. Why? He had horses, he had chariots, so he had a lot of confidence. He said, I'm going to chase after these people. So he chased after them. So this story is set during the period when these Israelis have already camped in front of the Red Sea obviously thinking so what do we do next where do we go next they, they never factored the fact that, that pharaoh was going to be chasing after them now they saw pharaoh chasing after them with chariots and horses of trained men with weapons and in front of them is the deep of course not blue sea deep red sea the deep red sea was in front of them pharaoh symbolizing the devil and his agency of darkness were chasing us after their tail so, of course, the people were afraid. So, the first thing Moses told them in verse 13, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. 
Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he shall accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see them no more. Say to yourself, the Egyptians that you see today, I shall see them no more. The Egyptians that I see today, I shall see them no more. Some of us are actually in that kind of place where you think you have escaped from certain forces. You have escaped from certain people. But now you hear that they are rising to come and chase you, to get you down. You thought you have moved. They are saying, we are going to hold you down. You thought you are making progress. They say, we are going to grab you and bring you back. Get loose to park in that year. As you hear the word of God today, in the name of Jesus, those Egyptians that you see today, you shall see them no more. In the name of Jesus Christ, God will show up for Israelis when Egyptians were on their tail and the Red Sea was in their front. We show up for you in the name of jesus christ i move on because of my time the bible says in verse 14 the lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace the lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace and the lord said to moses remember the story hmm? the people saw fear they started crying out to god in verse uh, 11 the Bible says they were crying out to God. Then they said to Moses, so they cried out to God and spoke to Moses. So now Moses spoke first to the people, right? Moses spoke first to the people in response and told them, don't be afraid. The Lord will fight your battles. The Egyptians you see today, you shall see no more. Then after Moses finished speaking to the people, then Moses spoke to God. Do you understand? Moses spoke to God. Then God responded to Moses in verse 15. Verse 15 says, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry out to me? If you read verse 14 and read verse 15, you'll be wondering, when did Moses speak to God? Verse 14 said, The Lord will fight for you and you shall hold your peace. Moses was speaking to the people. So verse 15 now said, And the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? So, when did Moses cry? And this is something deep that we need to understand. Sometimes you are a leader, you are in front. Things are going wrong. You have a people who are afraid to deal with. In fact, you have some of the people who are rebellious that you need to deal with. But remember who called you. So Moses remembered. And I'm speaking to you people in the house, young leaders, leaders of homes. You are a father, you are a mother in the home. You are a youth leader. You are a leader in your office. Listen. There will be times where you'll be confronted with something like this. That you need to deal with the people. But as you deal with the people, in your heart, commune with God. Ask God, what do I do next? What do I do next? What do I do next? Because your answer to the people will not work if God does not give you a word. If God does not give you a word, you have nothing to show. Even though you have motivated the people. Motivating the people is good. Inspiring the people is good. If you do not hear from God... You cannot make a move that will be successful. And this is exactly what played out here. So the people were troubling him and Moses was speaking motivation to them. He was a motivational speaker. He was an inspirational speaker. He was inspiring them. But until you hear from the, the Lord, many things will not change. So the, the Bible says Moses now heard from God. Of course, he was crying and the spirit crying within himself. Say, Lord, what do I do? I'm in between those people and I'm... I'm seeing the sea in front. These people are not making it up. Actually, the Red Sea is right in front of us. And actually, I can see the horses and the chariots of Pharaoh. They are riding very fast. In fact, the Bible says they are already overtaking them. At this point in time, when the people were yelling out, the Bible said they are already overtaking them, just waiting for the instruction to finish them off or drag them back. So Moses was communing with the spirit. And this is what we need to learn to do. In your spirit, you must be able to connect. Even while you are speaking with the people, your spirit must connect to God and say, Lord, what is the way out? What is the way out? What is the way out? So God answered him and said to him, Why do you cry to me? Tell the children of Israel to go forward. But lift up your rod and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. And the children of Israel shall go on dry ground through the midst of the sea. And I indeed will harden the hearts of the Egyptians and they shall follow them. So I will gain honor over Pharaoh and over all his army, his chariots and his horsemen. Then the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. When I have gained honor for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his husband hallelujah this is the first story put your finger on it we're going to go to another story before we begin to share on the things that god has laid on my heart to to share with you today i'm going to read the second story the second story is in the book of second kings it's in the book of second kings chapter 7 
I'm going to read the first eight verses. Second Kings chapter seven, the first eight verses. Are you with me? All right, get ready. Let's read together. The Bible says, "Now there were four leprous men at the entrance of the gates." At the entrance of the gate. Just a quick background to this story for those of us who are not very familiar with the story. So there was um, a city in the city of Samaria. Um, Samaria was the then capital of Israel. So there was a famine. Why was this famine? A king, the king of Syria, had already surrounded the place, mounted a siege around Samaria. So he blocked their border. No food can come in. No food can go out. Everything inside is locked in. They were under a lockdown situation. They were locked down. They had nothing to eat but what they had in before the gates were closed. So at the time, they finished eating everything they had and everything went so bad. It went so bad. If you read uh, from verse um, 26 of of chapter 6 the king was walking on on, on the on the uh, border of the city that's on the wall he was walking on the wall and uh, he, he had a sackcloth on that because he was sad of course they've been in months and months of farming no food of course the king's household will still have some remnant of food but the people were in deep deep poverty deep deep poverty i was hearing the news earlier in the week and the mention inflation food inflation in nigeria is over 18 percent you know this is worse than the nigerian situation the inflation was probably in triple digits people had nothing to eat they were willing to pay a lot of money for many things the bible started in verse um, 25 of the book of um, Second Kings chapter 6. He said, And there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed, they besieged it until a donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels of silver and one-fourth of a cup of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. You don't get it. He said, donkey head. You know, when we, we have Isewu, just picture your, your, your mind, the head of the goods. Just use an idea. He said it was sold, the donkey's head was sold for 80 shekels. How much meat is actually in donkey's head? Just to, to give you an idea. But it was sold for so much, so much, 80 shekels. 80 shekels. If you do the conversions, we see what we're talking about. The one that, that really intrigued me is the second part. It said, a quarter of the cup of dove droppings, that is the poopoo of dove. They were selling one quarter of it for five shekels. I don't understand what people were doing with dove uh, poopoo. Were they eating it? Were they frying it? What were they using it for? They were willing to pay that much, five shekels for it. Five shekels of silver for it. Things were very bad. So bad that women were having negotiations on how you will bring your son, we will cook him and eat him today. Then after we finish eating him, the next person we will eat will be the other person's son. So two, uh, one woman went to meet the king and said, My God, the king, can you help me? Can you help me? The man said, See, if, if God does not help you, I can't help you. If God doesn't help you, what help am I going to give you? What? Okay, what is our problem? So the woman began to explain the issue to the king. He said, See, something happened. We had a deal. You know, there's so much famine in the land. We, the poor people, the peasants, we don't have as much luxury as you, the king, might have. So we've run out of options. We've eaten everything we had. We ate the last part of the pot. We scraped everything. We have ate everything eatable in our house what is left is now to eat our children so i had a deal with my neighbor and say woman can we have a deal i'm going to take the first bold step i'm going to offer my son we're going to kill and cook my son and eat god forbid caper and they did that the bible says they actually carried the son cooked the son and ate the son the two families ate that son. So on the following day, I don't even understand the kind of hunger. What kind of hunger will make you finish a old child one day and the following day you are still hungry, you want to cook the other one? If they had said fathers, maybe I would have understood. Fathers don't know what it takes, what it takes to carry a baby for nine months, what it takes to push that baby out. You push in between heaven and earth. You push that baby out. You were feeling like running man. You kept pushing. And after pushing, that son started growing and you wanted to eat that son because of hunger. I will not understand the scripture. How will women agree to eat their own children? And after eating on day one, no repentance, no remorse, no pain, no regret. The following day you want to eat another son. So the other woman said, don't be me. So the woman carried her own son and, you know, changed her dress. So they said, this woman, I'm begging her, bring your own child. She will not bring your own child. She will not bring her child. And I said to her on the next day, give 
your son that we may eat him but she has eaten her son a smart woman say no i have a conscience it is not good for somebody to eat their child let alone a mother that went through all this so she hid her son so she was complaining to the king or that king tell her let her bring her a son so that we can we can make shawarma we can make pizza out of this son whatever we need to do let us just fry this son and roast this son so the king was very angry and the king said ah, ah this is nonsense so he tore his clothes after tearing his clothes they saw that the singlet the underwear that the king was wearing was actually sackcloth so the king too was feeling the, the, the depression in the land this was more than a recession this was depression he was feeling the depression in the land so the king was very angry he said ah, ah, and somebody is calling himself prophet in this city there's one man calling himself Elisha. He says he's hearing from God. He says, I must kill him today. My people have started killing one another. I must kill him today. So he sent somebody ahead. He said, go and make sure you kill Elisha. In fact, as he sent the person, the Bible says even the king himself was following. So when both of them reached the house of Elisha, and that's what you start reading from uh, chapter 7 of the book of 2 Kings, when they got to the house of Elijah, he said, ah, ah, Elijah, so you are in this, uh, I mean, Elisha, you are in this city. And God, God has been doing all this kind of evil things to us, making people to eat their children. So Elisha didn't answer and say, your theology is wrong. The fact that you have famine does not mean that it's God that brought this famine upon you. Hmm? And this is what happens when we are in trouble. We are very quick, very, very quick to, to accuse God. The Bible says uh, in um, chapter 6, chapter 6, verse um, 33, when the king came, he said, while he was still speaking with them, there was a messenger coming soon, coming down to him. And it's, and the king said, and the king said, surely this calamity is from the Lord. Why should I wait for the Lord any longer? So sometimes we accuse God. We go through a difficult time. We say, it's God, oh, it's God that is delaying me. It's God that is depriving me. It's God that is denying It's not God. It's not God all the time that is doing all this calamity. The Bible says there was a siege. There was an army that has surrounded the place. If you continue to read the story of this king, you know he was actually not standing with God. So sometimes when God looks away, we said it's God that is causing our trouble. No, we cause our trouble because we are not with God and God does not feel obligated to stand with us because we are not with him. And the things that the devil throws at us begin to happen and we say it's God that is making it happen. No, if we change our ways, if we seek the Lord with all our heart, he will stand by us. If he stands by us, he will fight our battles. Do you understand that? But that's not where I'm going today. So we go back to where we were reading the book of Second Kings, chapter seven. I start to read from verse three. Verse three. So after the king lamenting, the man of God Elisha prophesied. He said, "By this time tomorrow, by this time tomorrow, I make a prophecy that a seer of fine flour shall be sold for just one shekel." You remember they are selling donkey head for eighty shekels. They are selling one quarter of the poopoo of pigeon, of dove rather, of dove. They are selling it for five, five shekels of silver. So the man of God was prophesying. He said something more valuable, something that has more nutrients, something that is a better food. A old seer of fine flour shall be sold for only one shekel. And two seers of barley for a shekel, that is two Two, like something like two dairy cows, you know, so two, two basins, two paint buckets shall be sold for just one shekel at the gate of Samaria. So the man of God gave the word, and as he gave the word, you know, some people like to form over Sabi. They are super economists. They went to Harvard. They went to London School of Economics. The Bible says the man uh, on whom the king leans, that is an advisor of the king, the, the technical advisor, a special advisor to the king, say, ah, man of God, you people, you like you like just exaggerating. Just say things will get better. Don't tell us tomorrow. We that we have gone through this for how many months now? So tomorrow, everything will suddenly change and we'll be selling flour for just one one uh, shekel of silver and barley for two two uh sales of barley for one shekel of silver abba man of god you people like exaggerating you like exaggerating it cannot happen even if god opens the window of heaven it cannot happen ah, the man of god looked at him brilliant yes it will not only happen it will happen you will see it but your mouth will not 
partake in it. May that not be your portion in the name of Jesus Christ. And this is warning to those of us who despise the word of God, who rubbish the word of God. Somebody is prophesying. A word of prophecy is coming. Just because you don't have faith to receive it does not mean that it is, it is not true. Those who have faith to receive it, receive testimony. So keep quiet if you don't understand what is happening. If what is happening, what is being said, what is being declared is too big for your mind because your mind is only academically wired. It is not spiritually wired. Just keep quiet. Keep quiet. So the man did not learn to keep quiet. The man spoke too, too fast. The man of God said, no problem. The proof that it will happen is that you will not only see it, but you will not partake in it. He thought the man of God was joking. So this is what now led to verse 3. The Bible says, now there were four lepers at the entrance of the gates. Remember he said, at the gates, this will be sold. At the entrance of the gates. And you, of course, you understand why lepers were at the gates. They were not people that were socially acceptable because of their skin disease. They cannot mix with people, so they stay outside of the city at the gate. The Bible says, why? And they spoke to one another. They said to one another, this leper said to one another, why are we sitting here until we die? If we say we will enter the city, the famine is in the city and we shall die there. Hmm? Even those that are socially accepted, they cannot find food. How much more those who are not socially accepted? So, if we stay here, we will die. If we enter inside the city, we will die. Bible says, and if we sit here also, we die also. So all die, not die. You sit down here, you die. You enter the city, there's no food, then you die. The Bible said, now therefore, come, let us surrender to the army of the Syrians. If they keep us alive, we shall live. And if they kill us, we shall only die. I love these lepers. See, what they are saying is, we have two options right now right now we have two options option one is do nothing that is where we are don't do anything don't add value to yourself don't take any risk do nothing just sit down there he said if we do that the only outcome is that we will die clear they take that option okay what is the second option option two is that we go to the city at least we have relatives in the city we are citizens of that city Okay, if we go there, it will take us effort to go there. If we get there, what are the chances that we'll find food? Zero. Well, those people too, they don't have food. So we're going to die. Outcome of option A is die. Outcome of option B is die. So they said, we must think creatively. Let's find another option that can give us something a little better than absolute death. Because option A is surely about death. Option B is surely about death. Let's create an option C. So they created an option C and said, supposing we decide to go to the Syrian camp. You remember this Syrian army, they were the ones that blocked the city, making the famine in the city to happen in the first place. So let's go and meet them. They have two options. If we meet them, we'll go and surrender. Of course, we're not going to fight with them. If we go and meet them, it's like they kill us because they see us from afar and they say, oh, these guys, they dress like these Samarians. Even though their skin is bad, they are Samaritans. Let's kill them. Say if they killed us, the only thing that will also happen is that we die. Say, however, we have a chance. It is possible that if we surrender to them, they may allow us to live. If they allow us to live, then we have a chance of not only death in option A, B, and C1, but in C2, we can live. So they said we will take option C2. We take option C. We take option C and see if we get an outcome C2, which means that we can live. That is a chance. We don't know the probability of this chance, but we know the impact that if we live, if we live, there is hope for us. If we live, we can find food in the future. If we live, maybe the Syrians will be kind and they will offer us some of their food. If we live, maybe we'll find somebody else on the road that we have food. If we live, maybe we'll go to another city. You must give yourself a chance to live. And for as many of us who think that we have reached the end of our lives, oh, things are not working, things are so tight, you look right, what you see is no, no future. It looks like death. You've applied for every job, they have turned you down. Some of them will not even be kind enough to send you a reject mail. You just keep asking them, they say, don't worry, we'll get back to you, we'll get back to you. And you're feeling okay. What is there in this life? I hate this life. I want to take my life. Don't take your life. There is an option that can give you life. Take that option. Take that option. There is something more you can achieve with your life if you do not choose death. So this leper said, we will not choose death. Let's choose something that can give us an option of life. So they decided to go to the Syrian army. The Bible says, and they rose at twilight. 
they rose at twilight do you know what that means so they didn't delay when they made up their mind they didn't want to overthink it don't overthink it the bible says they got up and they began to journey very early before dawn before light came before they can change their mind before the sun will be too hot before they will say we'll go later let the sun go down they took immediate action so the bible says they rose up before twilight to go to the camp of the Syrians and when they had come to the outskirts of the Syrian camp to their surprise no one was there a pleasant surprise is waiting for you as you take that bold step in the name of Jesus Christ I don't know where you are I don't know what you are afraid of doing I don't know what God has put in your mind to do but you are too afraid to, to do it you have been rationalizing you have been thinking can I do it I can't do it in fact maybe people around you are telling you you can't do it nobody has done it successfully people in your family have never done it how come you want to do it in your family nobody has ever graduated you want to graduate how come you want to graduate Oh, people in your family have graduated. They have never found job. How come you want to find job? Oh, they have found job. They have never found husband. They've not found a wife. They've not been able to rent their own house. They've not been able to buy their own car. They've not been able to move forward. But you are trying to move forward. We are creating options to move forward. Go right ahead. A pleasant surprise is waiting for you. In the name of Jesus Christ. The Bible says, to their surprise, no one was there. You will never get that surprise until you move. They would never have known that nobody was there until they moved. They moved at twilight. They moved very early. They moved swiftly. They got there and said, nobody is there. In their mind, they were thinking, what's going on here? Is that they are sleeping or they are, they are on break? The Bible said, the reason they were not there is verse 6. 2 Kings chapter 7, verse 6. That's the reason why they were not there. The Bible says, for the Lord has caused the army of the Syrians to hear the noise of chariots and the noise of horses. You won't understand the scripture. I hope I wish I had enough time to teach this, to go back a bit further so you understand why they heard the sound of horses and chariots. The sound of horses and chariots that they heard was not physical. It was not the sound of their own horses and the sound of their own chariots. Of course, they were seen an army. They came with their own horses and chariots to besiege the city. You will understand that if you had read the, the chapters pre, uh, preceding this particular chapter 7, you would have understood that, that there was a time that the king of Syria was trying to find out, is there a mole in my in my army? Is there somebody who keeps exposing our strategic plans to the, the king of Israel? And somebody says, see, there's nobody here that is exposing you, except there's one man in Israel called Elisha. He's a prophet. He's in, he's in um, the land of Israel. So they told him, they said, Oga king, even the things you whisper in your bedroom, this man of God can hear it. This man of God can hear it. Lord Jesus, give us Elisha anointing. Lord Jesus, send us Elisha anointing. That when the enemies are planning, as they are planning on your own CCTV camera, you are seeing it. So the Bible said, they told the king, said, is it's Elisha. It's Elisha that is exposing all our strategic plans. So when you want to go and capture them in one way, you would have warned the king and said, see, Syrian king is trying to plot this. Make sure you don't go there or just put spies there to be to, to be sure that uh, they are not able to catch you on our ways. And each time, it has proved to be true. His words were always true. The prophetic revelations were always true. So the king said, oh, I'm going to get this Elisha arrested. If I get this Elisha arrested, then I can finish off the whole of the people. So he sent a, a troop of army. He sent them to, to go and arrest Elisha. The Bible says, when the servant of Elisha saw the chariots of those uh, army waiting outside he saw them waiting outside of the, of the city. They came in the night. They were there with their horses and chariots. He said the servant of Elisha was afraid. Very afraid. He said, hey, my master, what are we going to do? Elisha said, don't be afraid now. He prayed to God. He said, God, open his eyes. Open the eyes of this servant of mine. Let him see. The Bible says the moment his eyes were opened, what did he see? He saw round about the place where Elisha and the servant were. Chariots and horses of fire. You remember chariots and horses of fire that carried Elijah? Mm -hmm. The mantle was dropped to Elijah, remember? So chariots and horses of fire were surrounding Elijah. And they were not only equal in number. They outnumbered the enemy chariots and horses. So here, when you hear that God had made the Syrian army to hear the sound of chariots and of horses, he was speaking about those unseen chariots and horses of fire. They are around us. I know you can't see them. I know you are always afraid as a child of God. It's because you don't know those who surround you. If you are truly a child of God, you are not alone. You are not alone. Your father has deployed angels. He said he will give his angels charge over you. They will have charge over you. They will bear you up in 
their arms. Let you dash your feet against the stone. You are a child of God. I, I don't understand. Children of God, this is we are so afraid. We are so afraid of everything and everyone. We don't know who is around us. So they heard the sound of chariots and the noise of horses. The noise of great army. So they said to one another, Hey, look, oh, the king of Israel has hired against us the kings of Hittites and the kings of Egyptians to attack us. Therefore they arose and fled at twilight and left the camp intact, their tents, their horses, and their donkeys, and they fled for their lives. <laughs> may God make your enemies to be confused. In the name of Jesus, may they flee and leave you so that you can enjoy the prophetic word that has gone ahead of you. In the name of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says, And when the lepers came to the outskirts of the camp, they went into one tent and ate and drank, and carried from it silver and gold and clothing, and went and hid them. Then they came back and entered another tent and carried some from there also and went and hid it. So these lepers did not only find life. They found food and they found a lot of money. They found a lot of clothes. They found plenty of things. Why? They resolved their dilemma. They said, see, we have options. Options of life and option of death. We are going to pick an option of life. We are going to pick an option that can give us some hope of life. I'm going to read the last one. The last story about a deadly dilemma, then share some thoughts with you before we close. I'm going to read from the book of Matthew. The book of Matthew chapter 14. Book of Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read from the uh, verse 22 and run down to the 33. Are you with me? Turn your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to read from verse 22. The Bible says, Immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while they sent the multitudes away a little bit of background before this he had just finished feeding 5,000 people miraculously and uh, he had gathered 12 baskets of leftovers so when the Bible says immediately Jesus made his disciples get in the boat and go before him to another side while they send the multitudes away this is what he was talking about so the multitude have finished eating and they have gone home the disciples have packed the the remnants and they got 12 baskets so now say guys enter the boat go to the other side go to the other side and in verse 23 said and when he had sent the multitudes away he went up on the mountain by himself to pray say now when evening came he was there but the boat was now in the middle of the sea so get the gist he told the disciples to enter the boat and start going towards the city on the other side of the sea while he stayed behind to pray and he got so engrossed in the prayer he lost track of time he kept praying and praying and praying and praying until it got very dark and he kept praying he was still there and the boat had gone far the boat was already in the middle of the sea so the bible says now when it was evening he was there alone but the boat was now in the middle of the sea tossed by the waves for the wind was contrary tossed by the waves the reason the waves tossed the, the boat is because contrary wind had been released to make the disciples to become afraid you see in life there will be circumstances that will make your boat to want to rock some of those circumstances may have spiritual roots some of them may have natural roots so in this particular case, the Bible says the wind was contrary. And you will understand why the wind was contrary if you read other uh, chapters after this. But I don't have time to teach on this today. So I'll just focus on this. Focus on the fact that they were in a deadly situation. Their boat was being tossed everywhere. It was being moved by the waves. Moved by the waves. Now in the fourth watch of the night. This is verse 25. In the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them. So in the night, way, way into the night, maybe around 4 a.m., the Bible says, Jesus walked on the sea. He went to them walking on the sea. That's fantastic. Fantastic. I thought people would be excited. You know, you're in the boat and the boat is, you know, being rocked because the wind is contrary and therefore the waves were hitting your boat, throwing it right and left. And suddenly, your master starts walking on the sea. I thought that would be a great thing. The Bible said he was walking on the sea towards them. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. 
it is a ghost. They cried out for fear. So it's not today people started getting scared of ghosts. All of you who watch uh, African magic, you know, you just see ghosts from nowhere. You just show and rub white powder, white clothes, white powder. I don't know what, what appearance that Jesus had that made the people to think that it was a ghost. So when they saw something they thought was a ghost, the disciples were afraid. You have seen miracle, but you are still afraid. You just finished feeding 5,000 people and you yourself, you packed 12 baskets and you are still afraid. So don't, don't, don't make a mistake. It is not miracles that build our faith. Hmm? If you are a non-believer, you are a non-believer. These guys have seen plenty of miracles done by Jesus. Yes, at the sight of something they called a ghost, they were afraid. They were babies. If they grow up, they will no longer be afraid of ghosts. Knowing that the one who is inside of us is bigger than, stronger than, mightier than any ghost you can ever see. Some of us, you just see cockroach. Hey, cockroach has come. You cannot sleep again. Ordinary rats will move in your room. You cannot sleep. You carry Bible and put it under your pillow. The Bible is not meant to be under your pillow. It's meant to be in your heart, in your spirit. You bring it out to rebuke. To rebuke those things that are terrifying you. So even if it was a ghost, their reaction should not have been fear. But they were afraid. The Bible says they were afraid. It's a ghost. It's a ghost. They cried out in fear. Verse 27. But immediately Jesus spoke to them. Jesus spoke to them saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. If you have been paying attention, in every of this story that we have read, fear was constant. The people were afraid. Afraid of one thing or the other. Something will happen. Something will happen. What if we die? What if they are chasing us? What if they catch up with us? What if we die? What if these ghosts come inside and these ghosts come and eat us up? Maybe this ghost is Dracula. Maybe it will come and eat us up. Maybe it is Willy Willy. It will come and eat us up. Mm. Say, don't be afraid. If you are going to make a right decision, in the place of dilemma. Fear must not be one of those things that will guide you. Just don't be afraid. And Peter, in verse 28, said to him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Read that statement again. Even Peter wasn't sure it was him. Say, this ghost is speaking. This ghost is saying, don't be afraid. This ghost, is it trying to trick us? Say, it is I. That's um, somebody you know. He didn't mention his name. He didn't mention his name. Be of good cheer. It is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus spoke to them. But they weren't sure. So he said, If it is you, Lord, ask me to come. Ask me to come. So immediately Jesus said to him, Come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. I'm going to stop it there. We know the rest of the story. And I'm sure it's the rest of the story we actually remember more than the fact that in verse 29, the Bible says Peter walked on that water. He walked on that water. He was not the only one in that boat. He was the only one who was willing to go and take a risk and meet the ghost. Ghost in quotes. Instead of allowing the ghost to come and meet you and devour you. If it was a ghost, that's how the rest would be eaten. So Peter said, no, 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 no. I want to take my chances. And between two deadly options. The sea is raging. The sea is raging. There are waves everywhere. I have an option to stay in this boat and continue in this boat that is rocking. Or I have an opportunity to go and meet this ghost. Whatever this ghost will do to me, let it do to me. So he stepped out in faith when he heard the word. It is I. Come. Come. You will always have things like that. Scaring you. Two options scaring you you need to take one you need to embrace one why the triumph is on the other side of fear listen to me nobody triumphs in their comfort zone nothing important happens in your comfort zone nothing oh you will eat rice yes you eat bread and put mayonnaise yes that's what happens in comfort zone but to take tribes to have conquest, like you see in the book of Hebrews 11, forget it, it doesn't happen in comfort zone. Check everybody in that Hebrews 11. Every one of them stepped out of their comfort zone in the midst of the dilemma they faced. They chose a bold option. The option that was bold was the option that put their name in the book of Hebrews 11. So fear will normally come. It's normal. 
But if you don't overcome that fear, you can't triumph. And when that fear is raging, be careful what you say when you face that your dilemma. Be careful what you say. In the first story we read, the people were saying we are happy to die as slaves. Can you imagine? Is our thoughts that influences our words when we face dilemmas. And we choose something suboptimal. We choose something suboptimal when we are faced with deadly dilemma. Because of the fear that is motivating our hearts to speak through our mouth what is not in our best interest. Other disciples were there. They were quiet. When Jesus said, come, they were quiet. Be careful what you say when you face your deadly dilemmas. There will always be others who will want to settle for the other option that appears less deadly. There will be those people. The leper said, no, for us, we will take our chances. Two women said, no, we will stay in this city. We will not go out. We will eat our children. Okay, after you finish eating your children, what are you going to eat? You start cutting your own hands and legs to eat? You can't do that. That's the place of complacence. That's the place of staying in your comfort zone. By the way, being complacent is not a fruit of the Spirit. I know we Christians, we like to console ourselves, oh, I'm just contented. Contentment and complacency, they are two different things entirely. Two different things. So these women were complacent. We we'll continue to devour one another. Devour one another until we, we die. We die. We will choose to die. We will not take a risk and go outside of the city and say, let whatever will kill me outside of that city, kill me. I'm ready to take my chances. I'm ready to take my chances. So you, you, you can't, in the face of dilemma, let fear be what will speak to you. You can't. Fear cannot be your consultant when you need to take a decision in the face of your deadly dilemma. Fear will mislead you. Embrace faith. Embrace faith. Your story will not end up like that of the women who ate their own children. You will not eat your future in the name of Jesus. For reason of fear, many of us have refused to step out. We are eating our future. You will not eat your future in the name of Jesus. Maybe your, your dilemma is not as deadly as what we have painted in the three stories that we have read. But you do face your dilemma. You face your dilemma in your career. You face your dilemma. You have two options. There are, there's this role. There's this other role. There's this company. There's this other company. What do you do? Both are equally difficult. What do you do? You rather say where you are where you don't need to take any risk. That's not how to live as a child of God. <laughs> Seek the face of the Lord. Hear from him and step out in faith. That's the formula that Peter used. Peter was afraid. When he stepped out of that faith, you might think he was doing legwork on the water. He carried one leg out of that boat. Put it on that water. He, he didn't know. Should I take the right leg first? Should I take the left leg? Should I jump? Should I be counting myself foot after foot? But he just entered. When he heard the word, come. Seek the face of the Lord. You will hear the word come this week. And I'm speaking prophetically to some of you. There are things that you have stalled and stalled and stalled and stalled and postponed and postponed. When are you going to do it? The circumstances will not necessarily become easier. Have you heard from the, from the Lord? Step out in faith. Step out in faith. Go and get it done. You will face this dilemma in ministry. You will face this dilemma in your business and career. You will face it in marriage. You will face it in every sphere of life. You must learn how to deal with deadly dilemma. Deadly dilemma. You must learn how to deal with it. And how not to deal with it is to put fear in front of you as your guide. Once you put fear, you are not going to end up where God wants you to be. There are places you will never be able to walk if fear is your consultant in the face of your dilemma. There are waters that you will never be able to step on like Peter. If you are always afraid to step out in the midst of your dilemma to take a step of faith. There are waters you will never be able to walk on. You will never be able to walk on the ocean bottom like the Israelites walked when God parted the sea. If you are too afraid. After God had parted the sea, some of them will still be afraid. They say, hey, if I enter this water, are you sure this water will not close before we cross to the other side? Fear will not let them enter. There are places you will never step into if all you think about is fear. You will never be able to walk into an empty enemy camp full of bounty if you are afraid to step out in faith. 
As we round off this morning, I challenge you. What are those things you are too afraid to do? You see two options, they are equally difficult, and you say, I'd rather do nothing. I will choose the do nothing option. Your do nothing option is not usually your best option. In some circumstances, maybe it helps you. It helps your mind for a while. But doing great things in life is not the same thing as doing nothing in life. Those who do nothing don't do great things. If your default, your only mode of operation in life is do nothing, let life happen. You believe. But stardom is going to be very difficult to attain if that's the way you have chosen to live your life. I don't want your story to end up like that of the story of the women who ate their children or that of the other disciples who sat in the boats. Their names were not mentioned as those who walked on water. If tomorrow they are asking for human beings that walked on water, the one name that will come to everybody's mind is Peter. 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 If those Israelites had gone back to Egypt to continue to live as slaves, we will not have the nation Israel today. The nation Israel will not have been remembered. We will not remember the name of the slaves, but we remember the name of the nation called Israel because people dared to enter the Red Sea. You will be remembered for what you dared to do. If you forget any other thing in this message, don't forget this. You will face deadly dilemmas. You will not be remembered for doing nothing. You will be remembered for daring. I pray that grace will come upon you to dare when you hear the word of the Lord and step out in faith in the name of Jesus. This is your year of mercy. May you obtain mercy as you step out in the name of Jesus. Those lepers obtained mercy as they stepped out. God had gone ahead to fix the issues. Kapala Gadazia. Some of you are afraid of some issues in life. You don't know what will happen, but God has gone ahead. You will never discover what God has done until you step out. So you step out. This week, step out. Make up your mind. After this message, pen some things down. Some things you are too afraid to do. You have hurt God, but you are not sure. Pen them down and go get them done. The Lord will back you up. A pleasant surprise is waiting for you. In the name of Jesus Christ, you will end up well. In the name of Jesus, you will not end up in obscurity. You will end up in the hall of fame of those who through faith have received testimonies in the name of Jesus. God bless you. By the grace of God, next week we will not be meeting here online. We will be meeting physically in church. Next week is the 24th of April. We'll be having our New Wine Youth Connect. New Wine Youth Connect. The time is 9 a.m. The address is 4042 Imam Dada. I invite you to come. We are trusting God that God will answer the big question on our heart. What next? And he will not only answer it in the realm of the intellectual, he will answer it in the realm of the spiritual. In the name of Jesus, you will receive direction. You will receive liberation. For those of you who have thought that it's over, you will receive clear direction and the resources to move to your next phase in life. In the name of Jesus, it's going to be a fun atmosphere. We will learn a lot. You have opportunity to also ask questions and to speak during the two-hour connect, 9 a.m. to 11 a.m., 4042 Imam Dauda. God bless you as you come. Don't come alone. Bring some others. Be a blessing to your world. God bless you. Listen to the following announcement after this message in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening. To get copies of messages, kindly visit our ministry material store and also worship with us at Foundation of Truth Assembly Headquarters on 40 Stroke 42 Imam Dauda Street off Eric Mosso Lagos. God bless you.